so I'm here today with Bella, um, a second year student at King's from the law school. Um, we'll be discussing the new metaphysics of the Garden of Eden. Um, it was never a fault. Uh, so Bella, would you just like to introduce yourself? Um, hi, Chrissy. Well, that was a beautiful introduction, but hey, hi. Um, as Chrissy said, I'm a second year law student at King's, currently seeking an internship, just in case anyone's listening. And today I'm here to talk about my research that I did um, during my first undergraduate degree at UCLA. And it was specifically um, biblical research with an interest within metaphysics and within the field of metaphysics. Metaphysics is essentially what constructs the world and how we view the world, or at least that's how I like to view it. And within this, my research focused specifically on the book of Genesis, what is regarded as first act of free will by Adam. However, when I took a reading to this back during my undergrad, I discovered that what the common, sorry, what the common view was is that the woman eats the apple, she gives it to the man, and then boom, she, it's all her fault. But in the reality, that's not it at all. Because first of all, one, it was never an apple. You read it and it just says fruit, which goes again to the common misconceptions of things. And upon doing a deeper reading of it, you will see that in regards to the event that led to the fallout from the Garden of Eden, it was the woman who ended up having her first act of free will. And Adam was basically living off his own animal instinct the entire time. And he only realized he had the capacity for self-awareness when he discovered the impact of his actions. And that's essentially my research. Brilliant, thank you. Um, so I really interested to know about the, um, I suppose the, the lens through which you look at this. I would definitely say that I'm looking at it through definitely a Turanic lens as um, within my research to determine how the woman, or as you know, her Eve was different from the man. It goes back to the Hebrew language. And within the Hebrew language, what makes it so beautiful is that if you look at the root of each word, and then you look at the letter, every little thing has meaning. So for example, a little dash mark on a Hebrew letter can have completely different meaning from a letter that doesn't have it. And upon examining that, I was able to determine how the woman, based on the mere construction of the word, had the capacity to think for herself and have this actualization of her own existence and have the complexity to initiate free will when the man who lacks this little letter, the letter I believe is called a hay, and the hay in this word of each, the man, this completely changes everything. So it's definitely a Quranic lens. But I think another lens that I look at it from is definitely the point of a modern philosopher. So um, if you have the time to read through my little 20 pages, um, there is a point where I determine how they realize each other and they kind of just verify their existence. And that is kind of based off the work of Foucault, where in the sense that, um, in order to know that you yourself exist, you need another person to verify your existence. That's really, really interesting. Um, and I suppose you mentioned about the think, realize, actualize part of the research. Um, yeah. And I think you bring in Descartes, which is really interesting about, about kind of consciousness. And I think they, therefore I am. Um, 
how does speaking into existence verify your own existence <laughs> yeah that sort of yeah it's quite like a paradox so the question that I want to ask is so how do you realize your own consciousness and I guess how does how does speaking or bringing things into existence through speech um verify your consciousness or in this case I think it's God right with the with the quotation that there be light mm -hmm. well I don't think you'll probably like this answer I think many philosophers will also not like this answer but if you're spiritual perhaps you'll like it the idea of recognizing your own thoughts and your own consciousness to me is just an act of spontaneity. So it's not something that, you know, has any form of cause. It just sort of happens somewhat like how the big bang just sort of happens. However, I guess in the case of Adam, as I point out, in order for him to realize that he was a conscious being, he had to realize the impact that his actions had into the world. And only by realizing that, hey, I can actually make an effect on the world and it could either be for the good or cause chaos and I have to be careful. Okay, um, and I guess, uh, how does the interpretation of, I suppose, I don't know how to say this, but um, the, the mainstream interpretation of originally placing the blame on Eve as the 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 perpetrator of, of the fall of grace of both of the Adam and Eve's fall from grace um how how does how did in what way did you reconsider this to be able to gain an interpretation that actually free will plays a role and it's it's not her fault well I think it just as a woman living in a patriarchal society, and we're slowly breaking through the gender gap at the moment, so socially speaking. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think I just wanted to see what was actually there, because I often find, and perhaps you've had this experience yourself as a woman, that sometimes a man will just pick on you for the mere fact that you are a woman. So mm -hmm. for example, if we're looking at St. Augustine of Hippo, who also did some writings on this event, he says that, um, it was the woman's seductiveness that really captivated and it was the mere act of the sex that she brought to him that caused his fall from grace. Yeah. In reality, if you actually read through it, it's not. It's just a man's perspective trying to keep women in her place. Yeah, it vilifies Eve to an extent. Because I, I didn't go full through this further in my research, but in the Torah, the Old Testament as you know it, there is a passage that says that a woman, that a man should have rule over his wife. But in reality, as we demonstrated, it looks like the woman should have a rule over her husband because the husband doesn't even know how to use his own free will. Yeah, that's that's very interesting. And did you feel when you were conducting your research that this area has largely been dominated by um, a male viewpoint, or um, is it is the majority? of the research conducted within the field done by men? Well, I think it's important to note that women in general have not even been able to receive a university education until much late, much after men were able to. So yes. there's, they already have the head start, so to speak, both in the field of philosophy. Um, in general, it's a very male dominated field and there's hardly any women. And when there are women, they're particularly white women. And there's not even a statistic for women of color, such as myself. 
But um, when it came to most of the research that I was doing, most of it did come from male scholars who did not know that they were going to help me break this divide. <laughs> so, um, Bella, going back to the point before, um, do you think speaking, speaking words into existence or thoughts in, or bringing thoughts into existence um, sort of enhances consciousness? Um, I truly believe it does. So think of it this way. There are two planes of existence, the inner and the outer. And by your thoughts are the inner world and your speech, your tongue, your voice is the outer. So by using your thoughts to communicate with the speech, you are taking what was in a different plane and putting it into an external plane of existence. And I always thought that idea was just kind of magical. I mean, think of it like artwork. Many paintings, they come from someone's mind, and it isn't until that they use their whole body, their, you know, their body, in order to paint this thing that was once in their mind. And how does that not seem miraculous? I mean, looking at the London skyline, all of this was once in someone's mind, and now it's out there. <laughs> yeah, that's very, very true. And I suppose through speaking and doing and expressing one's inner thoughts and consciousness um you're developing yourself and you kind of you're, you're never standing or mentally standing in one position you're always you're moving into new consciousness I guess and I don't know does that affect personality and character maybe I don't know um I, I think it does I mean yeah I'd like to think that our experience does shape us into people we are because it's giving us these new environments to test out what we know and perhaps evolve and if we don't evolve then we just kind of stay complacent. Yeah exactly. So moving on now to um, development of morality after the fall from grace I think this is a really interesting point. So do you think there is a strong sense of morality before the fall from grace or do you think the strong sense of morality comes from after the fall from grace? Well, if we're taking it from a purely biblical point of view, then I think morality does come after the fall from grace. But I mean, of course, the Bible was not descended until, you know, much later in history. We did have the ancient Egyptians, the Mesopotamians, the Canaanites, and pretty much everyone else. <laughs> yep. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I think that this kind of unintentionally formed the shape of morality because Something I'd like to point out is that when it came to the first act of God's consciousness, he says that light is good and there was also darkness, but he never assigns a connotation to what darkness is. So if there is no connotation, then it's just kind of arbitrary, which is something I point out. So think about what bad actually is. Bad is something that harms us, but why does it harm us typically? Those that we perhaps seen as like outcasts of their of the society is when they act without reason. And to act without reason is just to behave arbitrarily. And to behave arbitrarily is to create chaos. Yeah. So in order to prevent chaos, people have to be well-disciplined. And the point of morality, from my perspective, is just to maintain this discipline. So for example, I could easily steal um, Victoria Beckham's husband with my illustrious woman ways, but because I am self-disciplined, I will not because that would create chaos. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's really insightful. So by saying that someone 
in this case, Adam, right, has free will. Mm-hmm. Is that an attempt to kind of take his actions inside or outside of morality and say that they are good or they are bad or good and bad or not anything? Well, from my point of view of what I've written, Adam in this scenario only realized that he was capable of creating um, a free action. He never actually committed any act of free will yet. And uh, like I said, no good and bad, just good and arbitrary. So um, that was a really, really interesting discussion. Thank you, Bella, for um, letting us uh, have an insight into your um, research um, topic at UCLA. So um, now moving on to the next bit, I'd just um, like to kind of get to know you and about your experiences at King's and uh, studying in England. So how has it been being a international student at King's? How have you found it? Well, being an international student at King's, I personally don't think that there's much of a difference than any other student because something I found is that the majority of King's kind of feels like an international student school. And even those that pay the, you know, home fee, so to speak, are not even from the UK. They're just from different parts of the European economic area. So in a sense that there's this much of a bringing of cultures and different ideas. And I think that's probably the main point of being an international student. Well, that and the fact that we pay more for the same exact education. (laughs) Yeah, I do agree. Difference at all. And apparently we're supposed to be okay with that. Yeah. It doesn't come with perks or benefits. I mean, at least give us, you know, private medical insurance. (laughs) How are you um, finding studying law? And why did you come to study in London? Well, I've always wanted to live in Europe. And when I was doing my research as to where I wanted to study, the one thing I did know was that I didn't want to be in the United States anymore. But um, when I was researching where to get my law degree, I found that an English law degree would be the most transferable and the most convertible wherever, whatever country I one day end up in to practice law and really make a little influence there. That's great. Um, And have you found there to be any transferable skills from studying um, philosophy um, at an undergraduate level to, you know, bringing it across to the study of law? in your current degree? Actually, significantly, yes. So um, what I find about philosophy is that philosophy is just the study of wisdom, which is what the name literally translates to. But when you study philosophy on an academic level, you are learning how someone thinks and how someone argues their points of view, which is essentially all the law does. (laughs) So I find all of my skills very transferable. I mean, do I wish I can talk about the spontaneity of thought? Yes, but <laughs> you know, um, but I think specifically within the research that I did in my emphasis, which was metaphysics with an emphasis on autonomy, or as perhaps the average person would know it, free will, I found it very useful in um, my courses such as tort law and property law. Amazing, that's really great um, to hear similarities between the study of two, I guess, seemingly similar um, degrees to an extent. What part of law do you enjoy studying the most and why? My favourite course I'm studying right now is tort law, 
And within tort law, the reason why I love it so much is that it basically deals with free will and the boundaries of how we can use our free will. So, um, for example, um, we eat, there is this idea of a social construct. So if I'm walking down the street, I can't push someone out into the sidewalk and that would be a tortious act because I'm using my free will without another person's consent. So it just yeah. kind of, it works off that, if that makes sense. Yeah, so it's very, I guess, philosophically related to what you were doing uh, in your previous degree. And I guess you can use all the transferable skills that you used that you know from the two. Definitely. I mean, if I may share, I am a horrible person for thinking that this is my favorite case. And I keep forgetting the name, but basically the case was, um, is person A reliable for person B's um, harm? So the case was um, person A locked person B in a room and instead, and this was a hotel room, so instead of person B calling down to the hotel lobby or, um, you know, banging on the door to have someone let him out, person B thinks he's Spider-Man and he legitimately climbs out the window and scales a wall and he ends up falling. I know, I'm aware I'm horrible for thinking that this is my favorite. I just, I can't help but to think what was going through this person's mind that he just yeah. jumped to that conclusion and thought, I'm going to be Spider-Man. That certainly sounds like a very interesting case. So my next question is, where do you hope to be after your degree? So in a year or so time, where, where, where do you wish to be? Well, when it comes to qualifying as a solicitor in uh, England and Wales, um, after you get your degree, you are to do um, the LPC, which can also double as a master's if you wish. So hopefully that's where I'll be after um, 2022, September 2022. And uh, hopefully I'll be sponsored by a law firm. Amazing. <laughs> and um, with my training contract. <laughs> that sounds amazing. So you're, you're heading for the commercial solicitor route. Fingers sure. crossed. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you very much, Bella, for coming on to the Listening Society podcast and sharing your experiences about um, philosophy and law at university and um, your research. It's been very, very interesting to have this conversation. I hope our listeners enjoyed the conversation Bella and I had today. I really enjoyed recording this episode um, and I do thank Bella for her contributions. I hope to see everybody again at the next episode coming soon.